0: So this evening's reading is taken from John 15 verses 1 to 17 and I'll just give you a moment to find that in your Bibles. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, You will remain in my love just as i have kept in my father's commands, and remain in his love i've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete my command is this love each other as i have loved you greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends you are my friends if you do what i command i no longer call you servants
1: this evening we look at another one of the i am's of jesus i am the true vine or i am the real vine the real thing it's a very familiar image uh, and in fact there are some famous paintings of jesus as the vine uh, like this one There's christ the true vine and you can see that the apostles and disciples Uh, sitting because they uh, are on the branches, because they are the branches. If you're worried that there are 14, well that's 12 plus Mary and I think St Paul. It comes from Crete, it's very famous and it was painted in the middle of 1400s. But there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of paintings like it. Uh, So the passage is very familiar, but there are still some bits in it which surprise us, which make us think, does it really say that? And this evening I want to look at three of those bits, so here we go. The first shock is right at the beginning. Christ is the vine and we are the branches. Except that it doesn't actually say that. It doesn't start that way. It begins... I am the true vine, Okay, my father is the gardener or the vine dresser. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he cuts off, ouch. And then he goes on, and every branch that does bear fruit, he cleans it up, he trims it, he prunes it so that it will bear more fruit. We concentrate on us and Christ. Christ concentrates on the whole point of having a vine at all. And that point is fruit. Fruit and more fruit. God is obsessed with fruit. If there is no fruit, he cuts it off. If there is some fruit, he prunes it to bring out even more fruit. This is pretty stark stuff. What Jesus is saying is that the vine is about grapes, real grapes, real grapes, not wax grapes, not silk grapes, not artificial grapes stuck on with super glue, not apples glued to the vine. It's not even a fair old show of leaves. It's not even, well, it fills a space in the garden, it gives a nice shade. The important question is, Where's the fruit? The first picture we give given when we pick up this familiar story is Christ is the true vine. And the second picture is God the Father with a pruning knife in his hand. That seems a fearsome image. Uh, but there is another way of looking at it. Uh, the other day I was half listening to Gardener's World, The Way You Do, and someone on the programme said, as you walk past the tree, uh, look at the fruit that's coming, and if there are four apples, snap one off, and the other three will grow much bigger. From time to time, fairly regularly actually, my wife goes out with this in her hand, uh, and I say, what are you doing? And she says, I'm going to deadhead the flowers. It's terrifying. It's like something out of a movie, a horror movie. But she knows that deadheading the flowers is the way to more growth, more flowers. And God cares passionately about growth. There's an image used by Sister Ruth, who's a Carmelite nun in a book that she wrote on prayer. She says that our relationship with Christ is like a deep river flowing deeply, silently. And on the surface of this mighty river, there flows a myriad of sticks and leaves and bits of straw. And this flotsam is not the river, but it is carried along by the river. God cleans up the river as we might clean up junk, plastic bags, dumped rubbish so that the river can flow clean without a tonne and a half of garbage and detritus. Jesus is the vine. God has a thousand ways of cleaning up the garbage which is carried along in our lives. And where he cleans, growth follows. More fruit. Uh, Let's move on to the second shock surprise. Jesus says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. What? Anything? Whatever I wish? And verse 17 underlines this. The Father will give you whatever you ask. And you might be thinking, Well, That's not my experience. I think this word of Jesus shocks us because we have a distorted view of prayer, which says prayer is asking for things. We put our requests on a slip and we hand it in. And if we're lucky, we get back what we've answered for. And if we don't, well, better luck next time. I was reading recently a very funny account of God and Aston Villa. As the last match of the football season drew near, Aston Villa hung precariously over the abyss of relegation, the shame of being kicked out of the premiership and going down. Now, whatever is the godly supporter of Aston Villa to do? Well, of course, they prayed. They prayed like mad that Villa would stay up, they would survive, and they would stay up in the premiership, and they did. God, the Aston Villa supporter, did the business, and Bournemouth went down instead. Not surprised, God is clearly not a Bournemouth supporter. This wonderful example of super sophisticated theology was corrected, by a comment in the newspaper made by Aaron, our vicar, and he writes, prayer is not some contractual bartering process with God, as if he was a cosmic vending machine, dispensing selected solutions to our particular woes. And he's right. When we read carefully what Jesus said, we notice, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be given. And later on in the passage, the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This passage turns our ideas of prayer upside down. Prayer is not us presenting our shopping list to God and waiting for the click and collect moment, prayer is what God does to us. He takes possession of us and he shapes our prayers. Ask what you will and it will be given you because you will be in complete harmony with Christ and therefore you won't be asking for things which are contrary to his name. That's what he means when he says remain in me and I in you. You are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You are clean, says Christ. My life can flow through you, stay connected. Jesus, be the center, be my path, be my guide, be the fire in my heart, be the wind in my sails, be the reason that I live. Okay, that's two surprises. It brings me to the third surprise. I've told you this, says Jesus, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Well, I don't know about you, but I just didn't expect it. The promise is that our joy will be complete, that is, fullness of joy. Christ's joy will come bubbling up. This is not something that you have to turn on. It's not... I am a happy Christian and I will rearrange my face into a rictus which will be a ghastly imitation, a terrifying parody of a smile. Hmm. When people meet me, they will say, have you got toothache? And I shall say, no, I'm a happy Christian. Can't you see my smile? What Christ promises is not a superficial jollity. Of course sometimes it will show itself in happiness, it will break out in laughter. We need to remember that this passage is about the vine and the grapes and the point of grapes, the whole point of grapes, is that there should be wine. As the Bible says, it's wine that gladdens the heart. But the essence of joy is something deeper. It's, it's serenity, a sense of stillness. It's instructive to watch a couple who are deeply in love. Sometimes they are working together on a project, maybe decorating the bedroom or mixing cement and laying paving stones. They don't say much unless it's about the work. Has this wall had a second coat of paint or not? But at the end of the day, they will collapse in exhaustion and deep satisfaction. Job done. Joy is complete. Sometimes it's different. Now they're talking to one another and you notice they are facing one another and they are sharing how they feel. The conversation is personal and deep and honest. The words build each one of them up and way below the surface, their joy in each other is complete. And sometimes they just sit with each other and very little is said, but the silence is not awkward, not embarrassing, and suddenly one will say, "Um, four down. 12 letters, impossible to enter. And the other one will reply, mm, impenetrable. And he goes quiet again. And this too is joy. And in their silence, joy is complete. Working together, talking together, being together joy can take many different forms but they're all a picture of what jesus meant when he said remain in me and i in you and your joy will be complete so take this passage very familiar and open yourself up to god's tidying up and cleaning up your life open yourself up to letting christ take over and shape your prayers remain in Christ and Christ in you and in many different ways your joy will be complete stay connected as the song says beautiful Savior wonderful counselor fountain of delights star of the morning All my days I will sing this song of gladness. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.